Volume Three, Chapter Two of *The Widow Barnaby* by Francis Milton Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two. Mrs. Barnaby effects her retreat from Cheltenham. She carries with her a letter. Its effect: an amiable attorney, specimens of a noble style of letter writing, consolation though the baggage of mrs barnaby was strangely disproportionate to the period she had named for her absence it seemed not to excite suspicion which might perhaps be owing to the well-known splendour of her elaborate toilette which she not unfrequently changed four times in a day requiring as all who thought on the subject must be aware an extent of travelling equipment much exceeding the portion assigned to ordinary ladies so she passed forth unchallenged and unchallenged saw her treasures deposited on roof and in rumble tumble till all were stowed away and then having affectionately squeezed the hand of miss morrison who accompanied her to the stage she climbed into it followed by the pale and melancholy agnes our widow was now beginning to be an experienced traveller and her first care on reaching london was to secure rooms in a private lodging-house notwithstanding the noble visions with which she had recreated her fancy during the last month she now with great good sense sent them all to the moon knowing she could easily call them back again if all went well with her but determined that they should in no way interfere with her enjoyment of the more substantial goods that were still within her reach so she commissioned the maid of the house to procure her three dozen of oysters and a pot of porter with which while agnes wept herself to sleep she repaid herself for her day's fatigue and wisely laid in a stock of strength for the morrow her first object of course was to hold communication with the brother of her friend magnus morrison esq attorney-at-law red lion square such was the address the letter entrusted to her bore and at breakfast the following morning she sat gazing at it for some minutes before she could decide whether it would be better to convey it herself or prepare the lawyer to receive her by letting it precede her for a few hours she finally decided to send it before her the wisdom of which determination will be evident upon the perusal of the letter such an introduction being well calculated to ensure all the zealous attention she desired miss morrison's letter ran thus my dear brother i never fail as you well know to catch all the fish for your net that comes in my way croyez cela toujours and i now send you a client whom i have little doubt you will find answer in every way she is a most charming woman and my most particular friend i don't know a more charming person anywhere not even in my dear paris so rich so free in all her expenses so remarkably obliging and so very handsome for all those who admire tall large beauties but you are too good a lawyer to listen to all this when business is in hand and so i must come au fait and now magnus be sure to attend to every word mrs barnaby this charming friend of mine has for the last month been receiving the most marked and the most tender attentions from lord mucklebury he is a viscount my dear magnus and observe as rich as a jew this nobleman has given her poor dear lady every reason in the world to believe that his dearest wish hope and intention was to marry her and she good tender-hearted creature perfectly adored him devoting every hour of the day to the finding out where he was to be seen and the going there to see him she had no secrets whatever from me the whole time and i knew everything that was going on from the first moment he ever kissed her hand to the most tender interviews that ever passed between them and how do you think it has all ended oh magnus it is impossible to deny that the male sex lords and all are most dreadfully deceitful and false-hearted all this devoted love going on as i tell you for a whole month has just ended in nothing 
my lord set off in his travelling carriage with four horses and an outrider as we subsequently ascertained without even taking any leave of the lady at all or explaining himself the least bit either one way or the other you may easily guess her feelings her first idea poor thing was to follow him to the world's end for there is no doubt in the world that her attachment was one of the most sincere kind but luckily she confided this romantic thought to me and it struck me directly magnus that the best thing in the world for her to do would be to put the whole affair into your hands she has got quantities of his letters they are very little letters to be sure folded up sometimes not much bigger than a shilling but still letters are letters you know and i can't but think that with your cleverness something might be made of an action for damages of course it is natural to suppose that i am a little partial to this sort of measure because i can't well have forgotten yet that the best part of my snug little fortune came to me in the same way thanks to the good management of our dear good father magnus the dear lady listened to reason in a minute and consented to put herself in your hands for which reason she is going to set off for london to-morrow morning she will bring all lord mucklebury's letters with her and it will be for you to judge what use can be made of them only it is but right to mention that there is no doubt in the world but that mrs barnaby is quite rich enough to pay handsomely whether she gains the cause or loses it i am my dear magnus your affectionate sister sarah morrison mrs barnaby enclosed this letter in an envelope in which she wrote mrs barnaby presents her compliments to mr magnus morrison and will be happy to see him on the business to which the enclosed letter refers at any hour he will name number five half moon street piccadilly having consigned her packet to the post the widow declared to her anxious companion that she did not mean to waste her time as long as she remained in london but should walk to every part of the town and should expect her to do the same will there not be danger of losing ourselves aunt said agnes london you know is so much bigger than any place you ever saw and what's the good of that piece of wisdom miss solomon perhaps you don't know that i have a tongue in my head and that the londoners speak english come and put on your bonnet if you please and i'll promise not to leave you in any of the gutters but bring you safe home again to number five half moon street piccadilly there you see i shall know what place to ask for won't that do for you agnes felt that all remonstrance would be in vain and submitted though the idea of being dragged through the streets of london by her aunt barnaby dressed in the identical green satin gown and pink feathers which had first attracted lord mucklebury's attention was by no means an agreeable prospect the expedition however fatiguing and disagreeable as it proved was achieved without any very disastrous results mrs barnaby indeed was twice very nearly knocked down by a cab while staring too eagerly about her when crossing the streets and friendly as was the old black crape veil of poor agnes it could not wholly save her from some tolerably obvious efforts to find out whether the face it sheltered was worthy the graceful symmetry of the person who wore it but they nevertheless reached their half-moon street without any positive injury to life or limb at eight o'clock in the evening while mrs barnaby and her weary companion were taking tea the drawing-room door opened and mr magnus morrison was announced and most cordially welcomed by the widow who not only saw in him the lawyer from whom she hoped to learn how to replenish her waning finances but also the brother of her dear miss morrison and the only acquaintance she could hope at this trying moment to find or make in london but now as heretofore the presence of agnes was inconvenient which she took care to signify by saying to the lawyer 
i am greatly indebted to you mr morrison for your early attention to my note and i shall be very glad to talk with you on the business that brings me to london but not quite yet we really must be quite by ourselves for it will be necessary that i should have your whole attention will you in the meantime permit me to offer you tea before mr morrison could reply agnes was on her feet and asking her aunt in a whisper if she would give her leave to go to bed yes if you like it my darling replied mrs barnaby whose tenderness for her niece was always awakened by the presence of strangers i am sure you look tired to death but bring down first my dear my writing-desk and remember my love to take care that i have warm water when i come up and don't forget agnes to put my bonnet and shawl and all that nicely away and see that i have paper for curling my hair ready on the dressing-table and don't go to bed till you have put out my lilac silk for to-morrow and just put a stitch in the blonde of my bonnet-cap for i have pulled it almost off all this was said by the widow in a coaxing sort of half-whisper with an arm round her victim's waist and a smile of the most fascinating kindness on her own lips the desk was brought and the consulting parties left alone while agnes as she performed the different tasks imposed on her and which her great fatigue rendered heavy could not for an instant banish from her mind the question that had incessantly haunted her from the hour she left the drawing-room of lady elizabeth will she go abroad shall i be obliged to return to cheltenham without her shall i be obliged to go to the house where he is living mr magnus morrison was by no means an ill-looking man and though a bachelor of thirty-five had as little of quizzical peculiarity about him as careful attorney of that age unpolished by a wife can be expected to have mrs barnaby though a little his senior was still as we know a lady a prétention and never permitted any gentleman to approach her without making an experiment upon him with her fine eyes their success in the present instance was neither so violent as in the case of major allen nor so instantaneous as in that of the false-hearted peer nevertheless enough was achieved to throw an agreeable sort of extraneous interest into the business before them and the widow disdained not as it proceeded to decorate her narrative and herself with such graces as none but a mrs barnaby can display having given her own version and with such flourishes as her nature loved of lord mucklebury's violent passion for her she asked her attentive and somewhat captivated auditor what species of testimony was required to prove a promise of marriage in such a manner as to secure large damages for without being quite certain of obtaining such you must be aware my dear sir that a woman of my station connections and fortune could not think of appearing in court assuredly not replied mr magnus morrison fervently such a measure is never to be resorted to unless the evidence is of a nature that no cross-examination can set aside my sister tells me madam that you have letters yes mr morrison i have many though i am sorry to say that many more have been destroyed this was a figure of poetry and of a kind that the widow often adopted to give strength to the narrative portion of her conversation that is greatly to be regretted mrs barnaby though we must hope that among those which remain sufficient proof of this very atrocious case will be found to answer the purposes of justice was there any principle of selection in the manner in which some were preserved and others destroyed i can hardly say replied the lady that it was done on any principle unless the feeling can be so called which leads a woman of delicacy to blush and shrink from preserving the effusions of a passion so vehement as that expressed in some of the letters of lord mucklebury they were then the most ardent declarations of his attachment that you destroyed mrs barnaby most certainly 
said the widow throwing her eyes upon the carpet it is unfortunate very unfortunate observed the lawyer though it shows a delicacy of mind that it is impossible not to admire will you give me leave madam to peruse such of the letters as you have preserved undoubtedly replied mrs barnaby unlocking her writing-desk and though i know not how to regret the existence of such feelings mr morrison i will not deny that for the sake of honour and justice i am sorry now that what i have to show you is so much the least explicit part of the correspondence she then drew forth the packet which contained be it spoken in confidence every syllable ever addressed to her by the laughter-loving viscount and greatly as mr magnus morrison began to feel interested in the case and much as he would have liked to bring so charming a client into court he very soon perceived that there was nothing in these highly scented but diminutive feuilles volantes at all likely to produce any effect on a jury approaching to that elicited by the evidence of the learned and celebrated sergeant buzfuz on an occasion somewhat similar he continued to read them all however and they were numerous with the most earnest attention and unwearied industry permitting little or no emotion of any kind to appear on his countenance as he proceeded and determined to utter no word approaching to an opinion till he had carefully perused them all important as mrs barnaby flattered herself these little letters might eventually prove and interesting as her lawyer found every word of them the whole collection might perhaps be considered as somewhat wearisome full of repetition and even trifling by the general reader for which reason a few only shall be selected as specimens taken at hazard and without any attention either to their dates or the particular events which led to them number one prima donna del mondo asterisk lord mucklebury had been assured on the authority of mrs barnaby herself that her favourite language was the italian walk you to-day at three be it at which hour my station will be the library m number two bellissima should i appear to-day you may guess where with a friend on my arm let it not change the sweet demeanour of my charming widow he is an excellent fellow but one whom i always treat as if he were not in existence for in truth being almost as dreadfully in love as myself he neither sees nor hears m number three belladonna it is three days since i received a line from the fairest lady in cheltenham write me a whole page i beseech you and let it be such a one as shall console me under the necessity of dining and passing the whole evening with half a dozen he fellows when the champagne will but ill atone for the sparkling eyes whose light i shall lose by being among them but if i have one of your exquisite billets in my waistcoat pocket i shall bear the loss better m number four vidova maravigliosa should i find the barnaby disengaged in her saloon were my audacious feet to bear me across its threshold this evening m such and such like were the manuscripts submitted by mrs barnaby to the inspection of her lawyer when he had carefully and deliberately gone through the whole collection he tied them all up again with a bit of rose-coloured ribbon as he had found them and pushing them back to her across the table said with something like a sigh it is greatly to be lamented madam that some of these little notes had not been consigned to the flames instead of the letters you have described to me for my judgment decidedly is that although every one of these documents tends to prove the admiration of their author for the lady to whom they are addressed there is not one of them which can be said to contain a positive promise of marriage or even i fear any implied intention of making a proposal so that i am afraid we should not get a verdict against my lord mucklebury on the strength of any evidence contained therein 
nevertheless if you have witnesses to prove that such proposal and such promise have been actually made to you by his lordship i think these letters might help us to make out a very pretty case and one which if it did not eventually bring you a large sum of money would at least be exceedingly vexatious to his lordship a circumstance which might in some degree tend to soothe the naturally outraged feelings of so charming a lady so villainously treated mr morrison said this with his eyes fixed steadily on the widow's face intending to ascertain what chance there might be of her wishing to spend a few hundred pounds for the pleasure of plaguing her perfidious deluder but he could make out nothing from this scrutiny nevertheless the mind of mrs barnaby was busily at work so many schemes however were battling together in her brain that the not being able to discover which preponderated showed no want of skill in the lawyer first she had a very strong inclination for a personal interview with lord mucklebury in order to see how a little passionate grief might affect him secondly she greatly desired to profit by the present occasion for seeing some of those london sights which country ladies and gentlemen so love to talk about thirdly she very ardently wished to avoid the necessity of paying the debts which his lordship's base delusions had induced her to contract at cheltenham fourthly and lastly the project of a journey to rome was beginning to take a very decided shape in her fancy but amidst all this there remained not the smallest wish or intention of trying to revenge her wrongs by the assistance of the law she was beginning to be too well aware of the melting nature of money in the funds to wish that the villainous viscount should lead her to expend another shilling upon him after the silence of a few minutes mrs barnaby raised her eyes from the ground and fixing them with a soft gentle resigned smile upon mr morrison said i thank you gratefully mr morrison for your frank opinion given to in so gentlemanlike a manner as to make me feel that i am indeed rather in the hands of a friend than a lawyer and in return i will use the same frankness with you i have loved lord mucklebury most sincerely loved him with all the pure disinterested ardour of my character but the same warm heart mr morrison which thus surrenders itself without suspicion or restraint is precisely of the nature most prompt to reject and forget a being proved to be unworthy of it therefore i may now truly say that this poor bosom pressing her two hands upon it suffers more from the void within it than from tender regret and i am greatly inclined since i cannot benefit by your able services as a lawyer to urge my friendship with your dear sister as a claim upon your kindness as a gentleman will you assist to cure the painful void i speak of by giving me your help in my endeavours to see all that is best worth looking at in london i am sure it would do me good not to mention that it might give pleasure to the dear child whom you saw with me when you entered she is quite my idol and i should delight in procuring her an amusement which i know she would so particularly enjoy mr morrison who was a shrewd quick-sighted man thought there was considerable food for speculation in this speech and had leisure served him he might have reasoned upon it in a spirit not much unlike that of benedict will you assist to cure the painful void which is as much as to say and so on he waited not however to give this all the attention it merited but remembering clearly his sister's statement respecting the widow's fortune replied with most obliging readiness there is nothing my dear madam that i would not joyfully do to prove my wish of serving a lady so highly esteemed by my sister and one also permit me to add so deserving the admiration of all the world replied the gallant attorney well then my dear sir rejoined the widow in accents of renewed cheerfulness i throw myself entirely upon you 
and shall be quite ready to begin to-morrow to go here there and everywhere exactly as you command a scheme for st paul's and the tower in the morning and one of the theatres at night was then sketched out and the gentlemen departed by no means certain that this adventure might not terminate by being one of the most important of his life End of chapter two